live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Uh, I reluctantly showed up. Ken had to drag me kicking and screaming from my apartment because I picked up Lego Star Wars, the, Sk- the Skywalker saga uh, yesterday. So I am begrudgingly here. Yeah, this is true. He's here under protest because he did not want to leave nope. the video game. Nope. He has a lot to talk about with that as we have a lot to talk about in the land of entertainment because we we're talking movies, TV, comics, video games. This is what we do here on this edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you. So very simply, swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on our social media accounts. They're all right there. You can talk to me. You can talk to Pad. You can talk to Coach Duffy. You can talk to Dre Driven. You can talk to the whole 607 Podcast family. The links are all right there. Also, at the website, you can check out Parlay Points, new comics blogs, which we'll get into a little later in the show. The T Public Store, the Classifieds, the Directory. If it is anything and everything that is ODPH, you simply just need to find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media, use the hashtag ODPHpod. But kicking off this edition of the podcast, we have to recap episode two of Disney Plus's runaway hit, yeah. Moon Knight. The next installment of the MCU has really hit the airwaves, and definitely a lot of buzz has been around this show. Oh, yeah. Rightfully so, because Moon Knight has always had a cult following in the comics. You've seen a lot of different creators really take a run with this character because he's a very complex one to write. But when it's done well, it's done very good. And when it's not, eh, it is what it is. But this show had a lot of hype when they tagged Oscar Isaac as the lead role as Mark Spector, as Stephen Grant, Mr. Knight. The list goes on and on because of his personality disorder. Uh So this is where his identity disorder, I should say, rather, excuse me. But this is where the show is really kind of starting to get its groove going a little bit because now with two episodes in, a lot more of the story has definitely evolved on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. The fan base is definitely talking about this. So we have to go deep diving into the latest episode titled Summon the Suit. So we give you that warning. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, first and foremost, thank you. But we give a warning to everybody. After the countdown, we start talking spoilers. So if you haven't seen the episode yet, pause the podcast right here. Catch up on the episode and then jump back in the conversation. Because after the countdown, we don't stop. So that being said, in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think? Uh, I like this episode a lot, having understood the character a little bit more than I did going into the first episode. Uh, I was really able to enjoy this, and I really enjoyed kind of like the building of the character and the building of the backstory they did with this. Wasn't entirely action-packed, but that's all right. You're introducing a brand new character that to a lot of folks, like myself, might not know all that much about. And so this is kind of that world-building you need to do with a relatively unknown property. I agree with you. I really liked this episode, and I thought that they really started laying the groundwork of really explaining who Moon Knight is. Because unless you have read the comics, you don't really have a great idea of him. And when you really break down this character and how he suffers from disassociative identity disorder. Yep. 
This plays a big factor into his persona and character. Yep. Because this episode really kind of deep-dived into it a little bit because it's been a battle between Stephen Grant versus Mark Spector. If you've read the comics, Stephen Grant's a little different than what you see on the show. Sure. But it still doesn't take away from the Mark Spector personality that he's battling with. Because as this episode jumps in, there's a lot of ramifications from the first episode. Uh Uh-huh. That there was a fight at the museum, which Stephen Grant works at. Yep. A lot of craziness went down because he was taken on Ethan Hawke's character of Harrow. Yep. And obviously we know that he is working for Ahmet. Mm-hmm. And this is now kind of a weird situation happening because the next morning as we open up this episode, well, Stephen Grant goes to work. Uh-huh. And, Pat, what happens when he goes to work? Uh, he walks in and there's, I don't think it's necessarily like a police caution tape, but it, it looks to be, it looks like some sort of like, hey, don't cross this line tape mm-hmm. uh, that's getting put up because, hey, things got destroyed. There's some guy that gets mentioned. I forget who it is. It's nobody important. You know, it's all they're you know, they're pissed about the bathroom getting destroyed and, and, uh, he, he goes up to, you know, the the head security officer. What it's the guy we meet at the door. Right. He goes, hey, I need to show you something crazy. You know, let's go look at the let's go look at the cameras. And they go to this office or this wall. You know, where there's this very impressive wall of of uh, TV TV uh, cameras TV cameras. You know, that, like you see all the f- monitors and see the footage. He's like, all right, go back to the last night's footage. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. And he and he's you know scrolling the tape before he goes. All right, what am I waiting for? No, hold on, go to a different camera. Seriously, what am I waiting for? No, no, hold on, go to a different camera. The the cameras for whatever reason, you know, to this point we don't know why they didn't pick up on it. But he goes to show him this bizarre Egyptian dog or cat or whatever it was that attacked him in the in the museum. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you won't believe what happened, and it's not on the footage. Yeah, it's a it's a wild scenario to think about because. The question became, did he dream all this up or did uh-huh. this really happen? And I love how they just did not answer that. I loved it, too. They just kind of left it in the interpretation because that's one of the mystiques about Moon Knight. Does he really know what's going on? And this is a situation that he is going, I know what I experienced. I know I got into a fight. I know I turned into an avatar for Khonshu. Where is it? Right. But everything's wiped away. And obviously the security guard is looking at him going like, okay, you are absolutely out your mind. And this is not helping his, Steven's mind anymore because we remember back to the first episode where he ended up in a foreign country someplace, had a whole fight sequence where he was phasing in and out of consciousness. And then he, but then he came to when he was still in his own bed. So it's like, wait a minute, that might or might not have been real. I can't tell. This situation here isn't helping me figure it out anymore. What the hell is going on here? Yeah, it's a very interesting sequence. But the big result that comes from this scenario is he's fired from the museum. Yep. So completely down on his luck. In fact, talking to a mime, which I thought was interesting. Second time he's done that. He did that in the first episode. Yeah. Yeah. Like that might be a running thing with the show, which is interesting. I I hope so. And I hope there's some point where the mime just starts yelling at him. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. It's got to be built into something with that. Either way, we see that he now has taken advantage of the card that he found to uh-huh. get into a locker because obviously in the first episode he found an old school cell phone. Motorola Razor, yeah. Yeah, shout out to the flip phone. Yeah. And he has a key to a locker that he's has no idea why it's in there. No, and he doesn't know where it's for. It's it's nondescript. So he went to the one we only see him go to one and he goes, "Listen, you're the f- I think he goes and I'm paraphrasing. He goes, "You're the f- you're the f- sixth fifth or sixth one I've been to." 
you're going to think I'm totally crazy. But And he asks the guy a question. He goes, no, yeah, I know you. I know you. you uh, number 42, I never forget a face. Yeah. That was an interesting play, too. So now he goes to this locker. Yep. And he finds money, uh-huh. passports. Pretty sure there was a Desert Eagle in there. Yeah, he found his, he, yeah, he found, found a couple guns in there. So he is like literally going like, what the hell is going on? It's like a safe house type of thing. Right. But, Odd place, but eh. But this is something that, if you know the character Mark Spector, this is not exactly out of the realm of normalcy. No, he's, he's like American armed services, right? He's a mercenary, yeah. Right, right. Yes, but he has military training, and this is where you also see him appear in the reflection. And I like how they're doing this to explain the different personalities. Sure. That he's now seeing himself in a mirror, and they're kind of battling for control. Because what Mark Spector is saying is, look... You are now in grave danger. Uh-huh. You are not ready for what is coming. Nope. You have to turn control over to me, and I will take care of everything. And then after this is done, I will disappear forever. Not and, sure how that works, but okay. Well, obviously, what he is trying to do is get control of the body permanently. Yep. And this is something that is a little play in the comics. I mean, they've kind of touched upon it a little bit. But this is a situation where he feels that if he is in charge, he can honor Khonshu, get out of the deal that they have, which they have not discussed on the show yet. Mm-hmm. And this is a situation that he feels he can get the upper hand because he's the only one that's equipped out of the personalities we've seen thus far right. to deal with Harrow and yep. his cult. Yep. So this kind of goes back and forth, but I like how they're kind of breaking it down a little bit. And it comes to Stephen Grant going, no. I'm not doing this. I'm taking everything and I'm running because I saw what you did the first time. I can't trust you. Exactly. Because he realizes he turned into the avatar and beat the holy hell out of whatever that monster was at the end of episode one uh-huh. and going, okay, you're going to do this again. Like there's bodies around me. I don't know what's going on. And I can understand what they're trying to set up here because it's just sheer paranoia. Like you don't know what you're doing in your own body. No. And I really thought they handled it very tastefully. And I, and I yeah. thought they're really, you know, establishing, that there is more to this character than just turning into the Avatar. But as he's running away, he does get tracked down by Khonshu for a little bit. Yeah. And then he does run into Layla as he's escaping from the storage uh, place. Uh-huh. And we find out that Layla is actually married to Mark Spector. Awkward. Yes. And she has no idea about the the other identity. She thinks he's playing a game. Like, why are you why are you using that accent? Yeah, so that's a very interesting scenario that they have decided to do on the show. And I'm and I think it leads to some very interesting stories they can go tell. Because now when they're trying to piece everything back together at Grant's loft. Right. Well, not everything is coming along as they, as they want to go to. No, and it's already very awkward. Yes, because now at this point they're dealing with the Scarab, yep. which is the whole reason why everybody is after Stephen Grant. Uh-huh. Because now he is in possession of something. They never really kind of specified exactly what it's it just, was. It's just it's a very important item that Mark and his wife Layla work together on. Finding it, I kind of got the vibe off of he told her that he got rid of it or he lost it, like he was no longer in possession of it. Mm. She thinks she's still talking to Mark, but he, she's talking to Steven. It's confusing, I know, but she's like, Oh, so that's how it's going to be. You're going to try to cut me out of the deal. Yeah, blah 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 blah. It, it's awkward. Well, you have to remember at the end of the day, he's a mercenary, she's into mercenary stuff, 
it's not exactly the most honorable bu- honorable business. No. Shall we say? Like, I know I'm kind of juggling my words. Because it's honor amongst thieves. Yeah. Well, do we have this here? Not every relationship can be Deadpool and Vanessa. Exactly. So they are really kind of playing around with this a little bit. And how they're going about is there's a little bit of jealousy going on, as we find out a little later in the show, between Mark and Layla. Yeah. Huh. But they don't have time because, as Pat touched upon... They're visited by members of the authorities. Well, this is this is before or this is after we find out that Mark tried to divorce Layla. That he sent her the paperwork to get divorced, and it was never signed. So, right? Awkward. Yeah, I know the dynamic here is very, very awkward. But you how they cut the tension with a butter knife? Oh yeah, absolutely. Hell, a plastic knife. It's amazing how they're setting this up, and that's one thing I think the writing staff is really doing an excellent job with, because after the police wind up apprehending Stephen Krant. Well, we find out exactly uh, they're not the people who we thought they were. No. And, Pat, who are they? Uh, they're working uh, for the big bad guy. Yeah, they're working for Harold. Yeah. They're part of the cult. The, well, they're either part of the cult or they're on the payroll. It's hard to say. I, I'm guessing they're in the cult. Like, we didn't see the tattoos because they're showing the True. the justice symbol there, True. You know, the, the weights. So, with that not being there, it's kind of a little hard to figure out. But they wind up... Uh, and, well. I, and, and it was weird when they even showed up to his door because, like, he Mark's or not Mark, uh, Stevens in in the room talking to Layla. They're knocking on the door very incessantly, like, not even knock, 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 wait. And it's just like consistent knocking. And they just kind of burst in there. And I'm like, he he thinks they're there because of what happened at work. And he's explaining the agreement that between him and, the, and his former employer that, like, he'd make payments and he'd make it in installments. And so long as he paid on time, that, like, there wouldn't be any issues. I'm like, all right, that's fine and all. So why the hell are they here? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a little crazy scenario. But as we see, Harold's pulling a lot of strings. And as he captures Mark and brings him to his area of town, like, I don't exactly want to say it's a compound. No, he just said it was a part of London that used to be very high in crime rate. They never specified where. Exactly. They just kind of say this is this is our part of town. And you see it's prospering and people are walking around with fresh fruit and, yeah. and vegetables. Yeah. And, you know, Watching a movie in, the, in a common area, yeah. It, it's, it's a surreal scene. And one that kind of gives you a definite uneasy feeling. Like, at least that's what I had watching. I'm like... Like the Commonwealth and Walking Dead. Yeah. Too much white paint. Yeah, it's just, yeah, there's something not right with this area. And as you see, Harrow is trying to explain, well, I know who you are. He's he's uh, he's selling him a line and, and uh, Stephen's not buying. Right, because now he's calling him Mark. And then he's like, well, you're Stephen. Oh, I understand. Like, And he's even like the the spirit, you know, Conchu, is that how yes. you say it? Conchu is saying shit to him, which was absolutely hilarious. Kudos to the writing team. And... He, the Kanshu would say something, and then he would be like, oh, is this what he's saying right now? And it's like, how do you know? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting ploy. And I like how they're doing it, too, with Kanshu because I know it's not a symbiotic thing like Venom and Eddie Brock. The way they're writing it is, though. But, yeah, how they're t- how they're doing it yeah. is treating it like that because yeah. this is not a symbiotic relationship by any stretch of the means. <laughs> Hell no. Kanshu runs everything. And... When you start hearing about how Harrow's breaking down, like, oh, I was his former avatar. Which I don't know if I believe. Yeah, which I, I definitely don't believe. The vibe and the vibe I got off of, because we'll talk about the conversation Conchu has with Mark later. The vibe I got off of, this is, this is a contract. You work for him so long as it is mutually beneficial. The incident's not mutually beneficial. Uh, you're dead. Yes, so 
there is more to the story of Moon Knight that meets the eye. But how he's wording this is basically saying, like, listen, I was I was once like you. And you know what? I got out. I followed Amit. And Amit is doing so much more things. And this is how you do this because instead of being reactive like Khonshu, you can be proactive. Amit's got a great 401k and a retirement package. Seriously, I was waiting for the infomercial. Yeah. That would have been epic. That would have been so there, good. Here's a pamphlet pamphlet for you. Uh, here's, a, here's an entire little manila folder. Yeah. So you want to be an avatar. <laughs> but this also leads into we finally figure out what's going on with the Scarab. Because, like I said, before we didn't know it. Nope. And they were teasing a little bit, but we finally get the big definition. And, Pad, what were you thinking when they go, oh, this is a compass Yeah. to Amit? I mean, I got the idea it was a compass of some sorts because there wasn't there a moment in the in the apartment with him and Layla that, like, they activated it and it and it started turning? Like, so I knew it was a compass of some sort. It might have not been with – but there was some point in this episode. No, you're right. It was in the apartment. Yeah, so they did activate it. It did turn like a compass. So I knew it was a compass for something. I just didn't know for what. Obviously, being a scarab, I figured it was something Egyptian. So once they're like, oh, they explained it. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. See, I thought at first – that when it opened up, it was going to open up like Khonshu coming through, like the portal. Ooh. Like, that's what I thought. Like, I was like, okay, maybe. Maybe down, maybe down the road. Yeah, like something was going to happen here because, like, with how powerful it was, like, he would actually physically show up. Maybe there's going to be, like, a certain set of criteria that have to be met before he can do that. Yeah. They're I, like, you got to sacrifice the blood of, like, eight lambs before you can do it or yeah. some crazy shit. Yeah, it'll be some kind of wild story for that, maybe. Like, who knows? It's just reasons. Reasons. But we finally get the backstory about the amulet, or, you know, the compass rather, and you get the whole plan of what uh, Harrow is doing, and basically saying like, "Yeah, I'm gonna bring Amit back from the dead. I'm gonna re- resurrect or purge all evil from humanity. You know, anyone who's committed evil acts or evil will, willful acts, you know, they're gonna die." And I'm like, "I've heard this before. No, yeah, like whatever you are trying to say here, this is not working, like at all." Like, the selling point about this isn't happening. And this is where uh, Stephen goes, listen, you are trying to be proactive. What makes you judge, jury, and executioner? Uh-huh. And it doesn't shape up that way. Like, it just, it really doesn't. But at this point, though, Layla makes a dramatic entrance and stops the uh, the uh, Scarab from going into uh, Harrow's hands. Yep. And they make a, a big escape. But this is where Harrow is now activating his staff, which allegedly has... A fraction of the power of yeah. it, which is interesting to see. Interesting phrasing. Yes. So he unleashes another monster. And at this point, you see Mark Spector is like screaming uh-huh. at Stephen Grant because they're trapped in a rooftop. Yep. And he's basically like, you need to summon the suit. You need to turn me in and let me go because you are not going to survive this. You're not, you're not equipped to handle this. Right. And Stephen Grant is fighting this. No, no, no. I know what you do. I can handle this. I'm, I'm perfectly capable of handling this, to which I said, uh, bullshit. Right. But what it happens here is a very interesting ploy because you also see him activate a suit. Yep. And it's most infamously Mr. Knight yep. from the comics. Now, that's, yep. a, that's a more recent incarnation of Moon Knight the, over the past uh, decade or so. Well, because isn't in this point too, Layla's screaming at him, put on because she doesn't, she still doesn't understand the whole, you know, personalities thing. Mm-hmm. Isn't Layla also in this moment too, screaming at him, put on the suit, put on the suit, put on the suit. So Stephen, in trying to fight Mark, goes, "Oh, put on the suit," and well, he followed instructions. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing with that, but and this is where you see Mister Knight emerge, 
And he's actually holding somewhat of his own, but I do like how Mark Spector was wearing the same costume. Just gotta say, the suit dapper as fuck. Oh yeah, no, Ooh. no. When it was in the comics, it's it's Clean. it's an interesting look. Like I say, for what for what was going on with that, but you now see it on the small screen, and this was kind of a cool thing because he's holding his own against the monster, but eventually. He is getting his tail kicked. Uh-huh. And Mr. Knight has to say finally, all right, Layla's going to get killed. I'm going to get killed. All right, do your magic, Mark. And we also find out during this fight scene where he's getting his ass kicked why at the beginning we didn't see the demon dog on the security camera footage because Mark, uh, or excuse me, Steven is fighting this this conjuring monster, whatever the hell it is, mm-hmm. and it's in the middle of a street in London with traffic coming at him. So at one point he hits the hood of a car, he gets pushed into a bus. At one point, an, old, an older lady who's there with her husband goes, is he having a seizure or something? So that's when we see, because we see the fight from his perspective. They're like, oh, he sees it and he's getting his ass kicked. But then we see it from the everybody else's perspective and there's nobody there. So that's when we learn it's there, but we they can't see it. Yes, so he's really not going crazy. He's really fighting these monsters. And you do see that Spectre does... Eliminate the monster as well. Obviously, after doing a crazy rooftop jumping sequence, you've seen it in the trailers a few times. So I mean, that's nothing new out of the ordinary. But you see him get impaled, and then when he lands, the scarab is gone, and Harrow now has it. Oh boy! And this is where Conshu shows up to talk to Mark, Uh and you get a little more background because now you understand Conshu is basically saying, "You're my avatar." Yeah, you're not breaking this deal. Yeah, he said, I thought you said you could handle him. Yeah, I thought you said you could handle him. You can't. So now I'm going to have to turn this over to Layla, who's going to be the next successor. Yeah, and he doesn't, Kanchu doesn't outright say Layla, but listen, he says it's going to be someone near and dear to you and you won't like it. Yeah, no, he basically gives it away. It's Layla, and that's something that they touch upon. This is why Mark was trying to divorce her beginning, and this is you know why she has such a vested interest. So something happened way back when in Egypt that we have not found out yet that is causing the rift there that Layla was allegedly supposed to be the successor yep. to Harrow if you really buy that story yep. and this is where Mark is you know showing his jealousy because now he's feeling that well he's letting down his bargain he'll never get free from Khonshu it's kind of an interesting play they do here so I really am liking how they're setting this up because now after this battle you're seeing the argument and now you're seeing Khonshu basically say fix this and then suddenly, Mark Spector wakes up in Egypt. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a crazy setup with this. Oh, yeah. I'm excited for it, though. Yeah. So they definitely did a lot with this episode that definitely had me very, very intrigued. I like the background setup of that all. So, Pat, I mean, I guess final thoughts on this? Uh, really enjoyed the episode. Super excited to see where they go from here because Egyptian stuff, Egyptian history is always kind of interesting, you know, and I've always kind of been interested in it, you know. So this, I'm interested to see where they go and see how deeply they delve in this. Well, the one thing with this that I like, and I think we're going to find out this next coming episode, like we do not have the early screener advantage yet for this. So so that's what I said. Uh, We're going off episode to episode. We really have to see how they're going to build this. And I think what we're going to get is Mark Spector's origin, how he came into contact with Khonshu. And I think they're going to follow a lot from the comics with this as well. So I think next week's episode is going to be that. And then when the fallout from that happens, episode four is going to be very, very interesting. Because like uh-huh. I said, we're going to, that's what I said, my early prediction is we're going to step away from the story, 
get the background, get how Mark and Kanju connected, and then we're going to go back, and then I guess something really wild is going to go down. That's the only thing I can predict with this. But for what they've done with the show, I really, I really liked what they the setup with this episode. I really thought they gave a lot of time showing that conflict between Steven and Mark. And that's something that they really have shown in the comics at times and really is a, a big factor of Moon Knight. So anything can go from here, and I'm definitely excited to see that. But we give you our takes. Now we want to hear yours, ODPH Society. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. Summon the Suit, Episode 2 of Season 1 of Moon Knight. Let us know what you think. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. My name is Nick. I'm the host of Nikolai's Kitchen, and I'm also the host of the annual live stream for The Cure. Livestream for the Cure is a charity event where we raise money with content creators and podcast partners from around the world for the Cancer Research Institute, a wonderful nonprofit researching cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This is a mission and a future that I truly believe in. And myself and my team worked tirelessly over the past five years to raise over $50,000 for this cause. This year, we're aiming for our biggest single goal to date of $20,000, and we cannot do it without your help. Please join us for the event May 19th through the 21st, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern, for 45 hours of content from people all over the world. Together, we can bring hope for a future immune to cancer. The more eyes we reach, the more dollars we raise. Please help us in making this goal a reality. Together, we can make a difference. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and we have to recap the latest in the final season that never ends of TV's longest-running zombie show, The Walking Dead. Zombies! I was going to say, is everyone close to this for being a zombie market? No, I don't think so. Yeah, like I say, they they have the zombie market locked down. I think Z Nation only went like maybe five or six seasons. Black Summer's only on two. No, I don't think anything's even going to come close. Yeah, because we're here now at season 11. It feels like it's season 15. Yeah. And the story of the survivors of the zombie apocalypse goes on. They're doing 24 episodes in total for this final season 11, breaking them off in eight uh, episode parts. So we're coming near the end of the mid-season finale. Mm -hmm. So this is the penultimate episode. Yep. And it's entitled Trust. And you know the deal by now. So after the countdown, it's spoiler talk time. That being said... In three, two, one. Pad, what did you think about the latest Walking Dead? I thought it was all right. A little, little uh, tension, which I don't mind. Every now and again. It wasn't necessarily very action-packed, but I did like the tension they did during the episode. Uh, we find it didn't uh, go where I thought it would in terms of I thought a moment in this episode would be in the finale, but I'm all right with it. I, you know, I Overall, I thought it was a good episode. I thought they were trying to set up a lot for the finale. And that's not a bad thing. No. I mean, it is what it is because this entire mid-season point has been a lot on the Commonwealth and how you're seeing certain members of our survivor group, such as Daryl Dixon, played by the one and only Norman Reedus, has now integrated himself into that community, which seems like it's a perfect utopia compared to what's going on in the rest of the world right now right? in the TWD universe. So this is where it's really kind of seeing the cracks are forming. Right. Especially with Lance, who is the deputy governor of what they're doing at the Commonwealth. Slimy piece of shit he is. Who's the worst person ever right now. I didn't um, think I'd hate anybody more than I did Joffrey on Game of Thrones, but God 
damn it, Lance is close. Josh Hamilton is doing a great job as a character, and uh-huh. you know, he's he's given a good run. Like I don't hate him as much as I did Joffrey. On, I, game. I'm not saying I hate him more, but he's getting close. He's getting up there because what they've been doing is this entire midseason point is really showing of how the Commonwealth's true goal is basically to restart the United States and their image. One uh, community at a time. Yeah, and they all have their different plots going on. I mean, for the Madam President, yep, she seems like she's the only one on the up and up. But That we've seen. We haven't seen that much of her, admittedly. Right, so she's been really in the background right now. Yep. We've seen her son, who is the worst. Ugh. And I can't stand him. If there's a snuck-up, snobby, rich kid, it's this dude. Yes. Yeah, Holy Seb- shit. Sebastian is the worst, played by Theo Rap Olsen. But this is where Lance has been kind of working everybody, like trying to do a house of cards in the zombie apocalypse. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, because he has had people working ulterior motives, trying to get money through dead houses. He's got back-alley deals going through his back-alley deals. Yeah, like it's crazy how he's been setting everybody up. And then where we kick off this episode... He's now basically said we're taking out the hilltop. Like hilltop is responsible for this missing caravan of weapons that has happened at some point this midseason. Right. Well, because we had the the results of the last episode and all the fall to that. Uh, we find out during this episode that Gabriel and Aaron radio called into Lance, and they all came down there. And uh, we know we don't see or hear what they told Lance, but they spun this story for Lance which clearly wasn't the story of what actually happened. There were probably bits and pieces of that story that were what actually happened, but they kind of flavored it to their liking and what would work out for them. And Lance is buying absolutely fucking none of this. No, because he's obsessed with taking over this community. Like, he, like you can see he's already telegraphed himself. Right. Like, he's not hearing anything that would make reason. And it's kind of a play to his character because, as we've seen, he slowly has become more unhinged each time we've seen him. Right. So now the fact that he's shaking down Aaron and Gabriel and basically says, okay, we're going after Maggie. Right. Everybody's like, well, what? They're all there in the area. They might have heard something. Yeah. So as he goes up there, this is kind of where it played into the end of last season's finale. No, no it was the first episode of this part, uh, of this half of the season. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Sorry. They're blending. There's three yeah. episodes. But this is where it kind of ties into that finally. So now we see the Daryl and company are going to Hilltop. Now we see why they're there. Now we see why, oh, it has to be this way. Yeah. And Lance is conducting his own investigation because... Quote, unquote. Yeah, he's just basically going in there and just trying to find any way to take that place over. Or any reason to give them blame and kill them all. Yeah. Because I'm willing to guarantee it doesn't happen in the episode, but they're there for multiple hours. This dude was looking for even the smallest shred of evidence, connected or not, to really pin it on these guys and be like, oh, well, kill them all. Yeah, because he sees Maggie as a true threat. Because Maggie's not playing ball. Yeah, because Maggie's Maggie's the only person right now that gets it. And I understand that everybody else at this point in the zombie apocalypse is tired Mm -hmm. and broken down. Let's face it. Daryl and Carol have seen some stuff in their time. I understand why they joined the Commonwealth. Especially Daryl, because Daryl has been thrown into this leadership role, and he's not the guy. Right, and I think for a while Daryl was buying the bullshit they were feeding him, but I think coming out of this episode, I'm starting to think, all right, Daryl realizes not everything's on the up and up, and he's smelling the bullshit. Well, that's the thing, because now he's had two instances with the hierarchy of the Commonwealth, and Sebastian and Lance, that they've, one, gotten himself in danger, two, gotten other people he cares about in danger, 
and three, have no reason for their actions. Arguably three with the one that happened in this episode where they were walking through the woods and there was like four or five walkers. And there was fucking, what was it, like 15 or 20 armed soldiers with fucking automatic uh, machine guns? And he's like, no, no, no. Gabriel and Aaron, this is Lance. No, no, no. We can't we can't spare the bullets. Gabriel and Aaron, you guys take care of it. And Daryl goes, the fuck? Yeah. I mean, this is how Lance is playing games with everybody. Like, I hate saying it's kind of this weird, you know, different class level for the Commonwealth. Like, maybe the people in the higher-ups are doing this thing for fun. I, be- I believe it. But it's kind of getting that vibe. You know, uh, I'm trying to think of that. I th- the movie. I think it's Surviving the Game, uh-huh. where, like, some rich uh, people were taking... Um, Oh, like Ice T yeah, was in it, yeah, like, yeah, I think, yeah. and like yeah, they were taking yeah. people that were you know former yeah. former prisoners and like yeah. having them like fight each other. Like it was this is a real old school movie. And, like, I'm kind of getting that vibe to it. Hashtag ODPHPod if you know the movie I'm talking about, but I'm pretty sure it's surviving the game. This is like kind of getting that vibe that's going on with it. So now you're seeing okay, Herschel's going or Lance is going around, and then gets the most awkward moment of this episode. He confronts young Herschel, Maggie's kid. Hey, because he sees an easy target of, oh, this kid sees an adult, and kids never lie when they talk to adults. Yes, yeah, so he is basically shaking down a kid. Oh. Which, Elijah, I believe is his name? I believe so. Uh, yeah. Who is one of the now uh, big members yes. of the Hilltop. Yes, it's Elijah. Basically grabs him and says, like, get the hell away from him or I'm going to kill you. Well, because t- Lance tries talking to, to the kid, and he's like... Hey, I'm just trying to help your mom. You don't want anything bad to happen to your mom, right? Did she go anywhere? You know, has she taken any trips recently? You know, oh, I was at a place where something bad happened and I happened to find this hat. You you like hats, don't you? Oh, would you look at that? It fits on you perfectly. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. My skin is crawling this entire time. Yeah, I mean, I'll give kudos to him. Like, he knew what he was trying to get out of this character. So, like I said, Josh Hamilton's acting in this, no issues with, because that's what his character does. He's just a scumbag. And this is where it was really going because he's shaking down a kid. Uh huh. So the, obviously Elijah jumps in. Maggie is drawing her gun. So like Maggie's basically drawing her gun. All the soldiers are drawing their guns. It's a Mexican standoff. Yeah, you know. And the crazy thing about it too is like I think Lance was trying to do this the entire time. Like uh-huh. he finally was like, you know, like listen, I'm gonna finally have a reason to shoot you. Uh-huh. But he didn't realize Daryl was gonna grab the machine gun and no. basically start pointing and be like, anybody want to get crazy? Yeah. Like Daryl, Daryl surprisingly is the voice of reason. Yeah, which is very, very odd. So it finally ends where everybody walks away peacefully for now. For now, dot dot dot. Yes, but we do find out later in the episode that Lance has found his replacement for Carlson. Uh huh. And it turns out to be Leah. Uh huh. The crazy ex-girlfriend of Daryl, who is in possession of said weapons. Yes, and basically he just says, "You know what." Nah, we're not we're not coming after you. Like the caravan stuff. Yeah, I'm here to fine. offer you a job. Yeah. Would you like an opportunity? And she very slowly lowers her gun. Yes. Cause everybody else in this episode, like that was the big meat and potatoes of this episode, we can see. Yeah. The little entree storylines were going on was Mercer was now dealing with regret about killing the soldiers yep. uh, from that were working for Sebastian in the last episode. Yep. Albeit, though, now he has a relationship with Princess. Uh-huh. So that was kind of an interesting thing. I was out thing. of left field. Definitely did not see that coming. But, hey, like, listen, it, it works because yeah. Mercer we've seen as the big, tough, you know, strong-willed guy. He's on the he's on the propaganda posters for, like, do your part for the Commonwealth. Right. But Michael James Shaw showed a different layer to this character. And I thought yeah. that was actually a really cool point with him. Because yeah. as he's talking with Paolo Lazaro's, you know, Princess and basically... 
dealing with whatever they are because they're still trying to figure out are right. we a couple or are we not, blah, right. blah, blah. That goes away because he's basically saying, like, I can't handle the fact that I killed my own men. Right. Even though the methods or the reason behind it makes sense in the zombie apocalypse. Sure. So we, we want to stress that. It goes against his morals. Though. But it goes against what everything that he wants to stand for because even in this time of lawlessness, yeah, he still thinks, I am the law. Right, and there's and there's also the awesome scene between he and his sister. I think is what yes. what we find out it is where he's in a gym, high school gymnasium with workout equipment, getting a workout in, and he's in a, he's in a tank top. So he's and he's sweating, he's getting his he's in his swole on, he's getting buff and all this. But like he's really bearing all that. Like it's this really intimate moment. Yeah. So it's kind of a really interesting point that's going on with him because he's dealing yeah. with it, and now obviously word is breaking about what Sebastian did. Because now Rosita is telling everybody to. Right. So now it goes to Eugene. And yep. it's like a game of telephone. Yeah. Because now it's going everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, now we're finding there's more connection going on that Sebastian's not on the up and up. Uh-huh. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So it's going around the entire Commonwealth. Yep. So that's going to get interesting. The, Eugene is now hooking up with Max, the sister there. Uh-huh. So that's finally happened. Yeah. And then good for him. Yeah, which, which I mean, like that's a that's a fun side story going on with him because I mean his character has gone through arguably the biggest evolution on this show. I would say so. Yeah, like between him and Gabriel. Yeah, like this is a totally different Eugene that we've seen. And obviously, what is going on is I think he's finally realized like time is not guaranteed in this uh-huh. place. Tomorrow and, ain't promised. And if he's going to put this together, he's got to really put this together. The other thing going on, which I don't know, Pat. I'm going to ask you, what are you feeling about the Ezekiel story? I mean, yeah, okay. Like it, it felt like filler to me. I wasn't necessarily. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see where it goes, but I'm not chomping at the bit. Yeah, because now suddenly there's some backdoor clinic going well, on. Yeah, he got inspired by Carol and what she did, and to get him help. Because let's not forget, he was super far down the list of people that would get help for his tumor. You know, he's happier. And at one point in the episode, he does, she, Carol makes note, like, oh, you seem a lot happier. He goes, well, yeah, getting a tumor the size of a grapefruit removed from your neck can make you pretty happy. He got inspired by that. So he's opened this clinic, you know, that's posing as a veterinary clinic, but it's not a veterinary clinic, you know, for helping people that are not high up on the list of getting help. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll see where this goes. But like, I'm not like, Oh, new episode. Got to see what Ezekiel's doing. I'm like, okay, we'll see. Yeah, like I understand they want to try giving the a break in the storyline, and I think this is one problem that I know we've touched upon on this show many times. Sure, the cast is too big. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like for where they are, and I understand. Well, you know, they killed off X, Y, and Z over the years. Blah blah blah. No, I mean this whole storyline with Ezekiel just isn't engaging. To enough. me, to me, it was like cutting the the tension. It, it was like the comedic moment in a movie where like it's been super serious and action packed and whatever. And then you got like the joke that kind of like oh ha ha bring everything down a little bit because you had all the stuff going on with the troopers and Maggie and Daryl that was like very high, very action, you know, and intense. Mm-hmm. Then you had the stuff going on, you know, with Eugene and, and Princess and all that, where it's like not necessarily as as high action in, but it's still a little tense, still a little all right, what the hell's going on here? Mystery, intrigue. You know, this to me was like the all right, we're having so much tense and intrigue going on, we gotta cut it with something. Yeah, I understand that point, but unless it's gonna go somewhere, like eventually he, they're going to get caught. Oh, absolutely. So this is where I think if they're smart with the storyline, they get expelled from the Commonwealth and see what happens there. Because if it's just kind of the slap on the wrist, so to speak, 
and there's no real consequences from this, it's like, what's even the point? That's the one problem that you have with this episode. And I understand they're trying to give everybody their final moment. You know, like Breaking Bad series right, finale. Right. Everybody got their closure except for Hugh. Let's never forget that either. Uh, true. But this is one of those situations that this storyline didn't really do anything for the episode. It really just bought some time away from Mercer, which I thought was one of the stronger points of this episode. Him dealing with killing his own people. And then the whole standoff at Hilltop, which just got downright creepy. Yeah. And then especially with Lance now recruiting Leah, who's been killing off Commonwealth soldiers. Who's probably more unhinged than Lance's. Oh, yeah. Like, it, like the season finale or series finale part two here that's going to be going on, somebody big has got to get killed off. Uh-huh. Like, I think if they don't do it, it's doing a disservice to we'll it. Say, because Somebody has to. I mean, the episode the title is Acts of God for the, the mid-season finale. Yeah, like, they have to go big with this. Like, I'm not saying, okay, you take out Daryl, because obviously, well, we're doing spinoffs. Right. So you know who's safe on this show. Daryl, Carol, Maggie, and Negan. Yeah, which, like, which I can't stand. Like, I'm sorry, the the fact they telegraph that with the spinoffs. I mean, yeah. and, and, and I'm sure they can be like, oh, we'll just try doing prequels. Not the same. Yeah. Not especially at this point in the game. Like, you got to go big. You got to do something real crazy here. I'm not sure where they're going to go because they've already strayed away from the comics enough. Like, it's almost fair game of what's going to happen. I mean, what if they end up, what if uh, Maggie's kid ends up dying? Because, like, I can't see her hauling his ass all the way to New York for the spinoff show. Can you imagine? Well, you know, it. I could see it happening possibly, but I think what they're going to do is, I think he does survive. Okay. Like, I, I think so because if they want to do, like, the comic finale, like, and borrow that, I mean. Sure, sure, sure. Herschel does have a part to that. Sure. So I could see something going there. I don't think they would do him. I honestly think it's going to be Gabriel. Oh, that'd be good. Like, you have to take out a character that people are connected with. Well, we know Aaron probably won't die because he's filling the Rick role. Oh, maybe they will kill Aaron. Well, I think I think Aaron gets killed in the next act. Yeah, could that? Because he's going to take that Rick spot. He's, he's the Rick spot, which, spoiler alert, in the comics, Rick dies before the end. Right. I think that that's where he's going to fill in. I mean, they could do that. Obviously, the characters are in place. Right. They could do that scene. Yeah, they could. I don't think they're going to, but I'll say, okay, if we're going to do locks and leaps, I'll say Gabriel is a lock. Okay. I'll say Aaron is a leap for now. All right. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Either way, though, going into the mid-season finale. Technically mid-season, yeah. However you want to define it. So, how are you feeling going into this, Pat? Uh, intrigued to see where it ends up, just because I had an idea where I thought it was going to go, and I thought it was going to lead to the bat, some sort of battle sequence, like we, because we saw in the first episode back, you know, it, oh, six months later, and it was it was the confrontation we saw in this episode. So that's where I thought it was going to end mm-hmm. was some sort of battle sequence between the Commonwealth and Hilltop. Obviously, at least right now, that doesn't appear to be the case, but something's going to happen, and I'm intrigued to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think next episode has to be Maggie versus Leah. Like, you're going to have that throwdown. That, or Daryl versus Leah. Because yeah, that's I, a loose end he's got to tie up. Oh, I'm sure he's going to tie up and it'll be a situation like he has to shoot her to save Maggie or something. Like, you'll see, like, the the angst of, like, what do I do? Right. You know, so, I, but I think you're going to have to see that throwdown, and I think Leah is going to be taken off the board. Either way, like, I don't think she comes back. Would Lance get taken out at this point, too? I mean, that's a possibility as well, because he can only be so be unhinged. very satisfying if he was. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's a matter of time. It's just a matter of when. So, 
I don't know. I mean, like I say, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see where we're going in this situation, but it could go a lot of different directions. Like, now that's the one, I guess, fun thing about this is they're dragging their feet with just ending this series already. Right. But at least there's a couple storylines that do seem interesting. Yeah. So either way, we'll be watching next week because we have to finish this out right. We've gotten this far with this show. Say, I'm, th- I'm this far in. I ain't backing out now. I know people are asking, like, you guys are still watching? I'm like, we are this deep in this. Trust me. It's not the well, Trust me. It's not as good as it used to be, but it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah, this is true. I've seen worse. We'll be talking about that next segment. Hey. How's that for a segue? Boom. But ODPH Society, let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. Acts of God is next week's episode. But trust is this week's episode of The Walking Dead. How you feeling about both? Hit us up. Let us know. Let us know your thoughts about The Walking Dead. I don't mind talking about it. You guys say you're not watching. Let me know why. We can have that discussion. That's what we do here on the podcast. But we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do not adjust your dial. Or, well, your phone. Your watch or whatever the heck you're using to listen to the awesome podcast you're currently listening to. I am the Duke of Nerds. Tyler Mack, and I am here to tell you that being a nerd can be a bit overwhelming, especially after 30. Life moves pretty fast in our nerd culture, and if you don't take the time to notice things, you miss out. That's why I'm here. As your Duke of Nerds, I am charged with educating and enlightening and entertaining you on all things nerdy. I do it by running the 30 to Nerdy Podcast. 30 and Nerdy is a bad cast company production and currently playing wherever you cast your pod. Follow along each episode using the hashtag 30andnerdypod and check out what all is going on at 30andnerdypodcast.com. Whether it's DC, Marvel, comics, or video games, I have got you covered. So tune in now. Cheers to you, nerds. Coming back for the third segment here on this week's edition of the ODPH podcast. And we're going to talk a movie. Well, Ken's going to talk a movie. I'm not going to talk about a movie because I don't hate myself. Uh, first of all, I just want to say the upcoming thoughts, views, and opinions are that of Ken M and do not necessarily reflect that of the ODPH. Listener discretion is advised. Ken, what movie did you see? <sighs> I braved the movie theaters with the rest of six or seven podcasts and Johnny Moose and Lincoln, and we saw Morbius. Yes, folks, I braved the theaters to go see arguably one of the most polarizing movies of the Sony-verse, because I don't want to call the MCU. Let's not put this shit on Marvel. Yeah, no, Kevin Feige had nothing to do with this movie. This was all Sony going into this, and obviously Jared Leto tagged as Michael Morbius, who, if you know from the comics, is an anti-hero coming out of the pages of The Amazing Spider-Man, had a run in the 90s of his own book, and has made appearances here and there connected to the Midnight Suns universe. So there is a somewhat interest in the character. Yeah, and like like you said, very divisive between critics and fans. Uh, On the Rotten Tomatoes website, the tomato meter for critics is at 16%, and that's with 205 reviews. The audience score is currently, and this is as of recording, sitting at 70%, and that is with over 2,500-plus verified ratings. Yeah, and I will say this, though. Spoiler-free. I thought the critics were very harsh on this movie. Okay. And I'm not going to say they're wrong, but I think that they went too hard about burying this movie. Sure. It's better than some Marvel movies. Mm -hmm. I will say this. 
I thought it was better than Venom Let There Be Carnage. Okay. Which I still... Carnage had a love story. I'm just going to leave it at that. This movie is not great, but I thought it got a lot of heat that it did not deserve. Sure. I will say that after sure. watching it. So that is my spoiler-free review. I'll say my spoiler-free review is I didn't see it. Uh, listen... I got nothing against Sony, but as I told a coworker, because a coworker asked me on Wednesday last week if I was going to go see it, and I and I told him, and I quote, "Hell no!" He <laughs> and he gave me this kind of shocked look on his face. He goes, "Really? I figured you'd go see." It. I'm like, "Hell no! Why aren't you going to go see it?" He says to me, "I said, listen, I like the MCU films. I trust Kevin Feige, you know, with anything. You know, he's only had one mistake, and that was the Inhumans. But hey." Time and place. Mm-hmm. Feige, I told him, like, Feige ain't got shit to do with this. He, he goes, well, but I thought it was an associate with Marvel. I go, yeah, because Marvel's got the, technically owns the comic character. I go, Mar- Feige ain't got shit to do with this. I go, we've seen what happens when Sony tries to do a Marvel film without Marvel. It's in one of three categories. It's either A, great, B, decent, or, C, or, th- or third, crap. And I was like, I guarantee you this movie's going to fall into that third category. I would say it's a good midway point between two and three. Like, in all honesty, because as we're going to be talking spoilers, so what did I think? I'm not even going to give a countdown for this. The movie definitely had promise. I will say this at the beginning, because obviously with Jared Leto being Michael Morbius. Right. And I understand there was people giving a lot of shit about this. Sure. I think... That they went in with a pre-notion that this is going to be him being Suicide Squad Joker, which I did not like. I, I, I've said this. I before. mean, to a certain degree, it seems like he was. He, apparently, from all the articles I've seen this week, that he was he was method acting again and staying in character for the entire goddamn time, including taking forty-five minute bathroom breaks. Well, this is what okay, but this is something he does. Like he's a different cat. Like let's face this, Jared Leto is Jared Leto. He does a lot of different things when he's on set, and we always hear these stories. So, like, this isn't anything super surprising. And to really <coughs> capture about what this character is going to be, I mean, first, and I I know I've heard him say this in many movie or interviews, nobody's ever gone near this character live action, so he can make this his own. And I thought he did get the essence of Michael Morbius because at the end of the day, Michael Morbius is very arrogant. He's very full of himself at times. Sure. He thinks that he knows everything, and obviously they did play a part in this with the movie because the movie opens up where you see him in, I believe it was uh, Costa Rica. Sure. And he's now having people helping him conduct this experiment about catching bats, and there's something something going on with this. Sure. Because at this point he's still afflicted by a disease that he uh, – just he's on crutches. He can't. Right. He can't walk. I mean, this is something that they they have touched upon a little later in the film. So he has his blood disease. He's capturing these bats mm-hmm. that we don't know at the time. Like he's in this cage and he's just like he sticks his his hand out. It's bleeding. You've seen this in the trailer many times. Sure, sure. And they'll come running for him. Then they jump back to the past where he's in a hospital for uh, children with illnesses. Sure. And you see that obviously he has a, a blood illness. That that's the big focus point, and then you see a young character meeting his young character, and that is Matt Smith's uh, Lucian, okay, who he keeps calling a Milo, and it's what like this is, becomes like a weird running joke with him, sure, that they don't explain because like there's a Milo before him and a Milo after him and blah blah blah, and you see how like they're bonding over their illnesses, but Michael is sent to the United States. 
And albeit, though, how they worded this, he's sent to a school for gifted youngsters. Hey. Or it was something along the lines of that. I, I'll, I'll, I'll Sony par- don't own the rights to that, but hey, that's getting about as close as you can without violating any laws. I'll paraphrase it. Yeah, it was something to, to paraphrase that statement. Yeah, they basically were saying like he's going to Xavier's Institute. And I'm like, they said it without saying. It. Yeah, they 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 yeah. worded maybe it wasn't it wasn't maybe it was gifted students, not gifted youngsters. But yeah. either way, yeah. that's how they touch upon him. So and then you see that they fast forward later. He's now a very well established doctor. He's winning uh, awards. He, in fact, stiffs uh, the uh, Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, uh, yikes. Yeah, so like he's like I said, this is where he plays into the, his own arrogance. And he's working at the Horizon uh, organization to basically, he has a, his own side laboratory where he's now like basically gene splicing the bat DNA in with his. Okay. So he's doing all these kind of experiments. So then he takes off into international waters with uh, mercenaries on board. As one does. Yes. So Win a he, Nobel Peace Prize, I would immediately go into international waters with mercenaries. Well, it, yeah, like I say, it's it's a weird scenario going on here because they never, one, explain how he connected point A to point B. Right. At this stage, too, we see Milo is grown up now, played by Matt Smith. And Milo seems to be very well to do, so I don't like. They never explain like, sure, sure. is he a doctor? What's you know his? Like, how do he get the money? Right, but they're both basically afflicted by the same disease, and you see that Michael now has gone off to you know wherever he is. Like I say, I want to say it was somewhere around Panama. He's in international waters. Like right. that's that's a big takeaway. Yeah, and he has his laboratory set up there. He has his uh, girlfriend slash assistant there, Martine Bancroft, played by Adrian Droja. Okay. Or Arjona. I'm sorry. Apologies for the name and spell. And so now they're experimenting. He basically does this weird splicing experiment on himself and basically turns into a living bat, so to speak. Not like man bat, but he's a vampire. I was just going to say man bat. Yeah, but it was, you know, is the vampire that you see in the comics. Man, so, bat, man bat was better. Yeah, but, you know, oh, yeah, it was a lot better. So during this point, well, the crew is coming down to check on him. He is now feeding on them. This is a, it's the big action sequence going on. And basically, he takes off and leave because um Martine or uh yeah, Martine is knocked out at this point. So he leaves her on the boat. He takes off cuz he's killed everybody else. Uh and then this is where the police now are coming in, in to check on him. And this is where you see Tyrese Gibson's character of a- Agent Stroud come in with his partner Agent Rodriguez played by Al Mad Regal, mm-hmm. and they were playing the comic relief. So I don't want to say comic relief because Agent Rodriguez was co- was the comic relief of this. But you see, they're now investigating this that's going on, and now, like I say, they're trying to figure out okay, what is happening here. Michael now sneaks back to his own lab, which like nobody realizes he's in there, right? Basically testing out like, okay, I have all these kind of crazy powers, blah blah blah. Yeah, it's it's the Spider Man one sequence, like, oh, let me see what I can do. Yeah, but then Milo comes in to check on him. And basically, Michael tells him, like, it's a curse. It's not a gift. I'm not going to give you the cure. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. So then later on in this hospital or building that they're in, you see a nurse gets killed. And it's basically assumed it's Morbius. Well, of course. Because, you know, obviously there's all these dead. Yeah, there's reasons. There's all these dead bodies running around. But the camera shot they did, you could not tell. Sure. But then this is where... In my opinion, this is where everything started going off the, the rails completely. Was there a dance sequence? 
No. Was there a Saturday Night Dance? Saturday well, Night Fever dance? No, actually, I stand corrected. There was a dance sequence. Hey. A little later. Sony can't stay away from that shit. A little they? later, a little later, there was a... Re- but this is, I think, where the episode or the movie is actually very strong in, so to speak. Because now you had Michael Morbius is finally captured. Because they finally put it together like, okay, well, we've now investigated the boat. There, He left a clue behind because he was making like this origami bats. Right. Reasons. Yeah. So one was left for um, Martine. And then, so the the feds track him down and they basically arrest him. So while he's in jail, his quote-unquote lawyer comes in and it's Milo. Now, Pat, have you ever seen the movie The Usual Suspects? Unfortunately, no. It's on my list to watch, though. So if I say the Kaiser Sose scene, do you understand what that is or no? Nope. Okay, so basically, this is going to be a spoiler for that movie. Uh, You have Kevin Spacey's character fake him having an illness. Okay. So, like, he fakes like he's walking with a limp, and then as soon as he gets out, he's he's walking fine. Yeah. Matt Smith does the same thing here. Ah. Like, out of nowhere. So now... It's Morbius trying to find him. So this is where, like, I will say they did have some cool fight scenes going on here. And it's basically now, okay, Matt Smith is going crazy killing everybody in town, framing Morbius for this. Morbius is trying to find a way to, you know, to end him once and for all. Right. It's a big back and forth. You do see a dance sequence like you touched upon with uh, Matt Smith's character getting ready to go to a club. And he's now basically picking victims because he essentially is saying, I don't care now. I'm going to drink the blood of everybody. Hey, he just doesn't care. Like he's completely snapped into this. Meanwhile, Morbius is trying to find a way to balance this out and it's not happening. And you see that Martine is trying to help him. They are having their like romantic, you know, storyline going on here as well. And this is where you start seeing that Milo is snapping. And he basically thinks, like, everybody is in love with Michael. Nobody cares about me. Right. Nobody cares. And so he's, like, taking out everybody that's connected to him. We now start going into the final, and it's a weird situation happening here because you do see Milo kills Bancroft, uh, Martine. Okay. And she's dying. They have that final kiss with Morbius. She bites his lip, so he's bleeding, drinks, like, a drop of the blood. Okay. He now bites her neck. Okay. So assuming she's dead. Yeah. You know, just going with that. Yeah. They now have their big fight in the subway. Yep. And the fight is just kind of like lackluster all over the place. Sure. Like it's just. It's, sure, just missing something. Yeah, it's completely missing everything because it's one of those situations where it's like, okay, what are we doing here? So they're having the back and forth. They're fighting under underneath there. Milo is absolutely wiping the floor with... Morbius. Right, right. Like, it's not even close. And Morbius does, at this point, have, like, a death shot, so to speak, that will... Basically, he's going to plan on using it on himself and, and using it on Milo to end his vampire, you know, serum. Yeah. Well, Morbius is, like, knocked unconscious at one point, and he sticks his hand in the water that's, you know, around the subway that he's fighting in. And suddenly he summons bats a la Batman Begins. Weird, but okay. All the he's and to my knowledge, he's never done this in the comics. It's like I don't remember. He has like thousands of bats, and they all swarm on Milo. Filmmakers take liberties with the powers. Okay, yeah, and then he ejects him with the thing and kills him. And then all of a sudden, these bats go shooting up through the through the skyline. Yeah, Morbius goes flying out from there. Martine wakes up on the rooftop. Another shot of Morbius flying. Fade to black. Weird ending. Yeah. 
That's where we go with it. Felt this. like it hit a wall and just decided, all right, we're done. Yeah, like I say, like there there was nothing else memorable about that, this. That, uh, that, you know what it feels like? It feels like they ran out of budget. And like, oh, I guess we'll have to end it here. Yeah, it, it was just kind of like they had no real third act. Like, it was just like, okay, we get here. We've now established that Matt Smith's character is crazy. But yet, I will say this. He was entertaining as a villain. I was like, okay. Like, every time he got on screen, because he was going after the guy that raised him in the hospital. He was going after everybody that was connected around Michael Morbius. Like, he framed him because he wouldn't give him the cure. And then, like I say, they never really explained how Milo had money. So was he the one sponsoring the experiment right. overseas? Like, they, they never touch upon that. Right. He's living very comfortably. And like I say, the news media is running through. the they've, Michael Morbius is public enemy number one. It's kind of like a weird thing that they go on. But they kind of, like, literally said, okay, midway to the point in the movie, what are we doing now? Um, yeah. um, I feel like we should have seen this coming because I'm looking at the IMDb page and the two gentlemen who have writing credits, both of them are screen, screen story by, are Matt Sazama and Burke Sharpless. Feel like we should have seen this train wreck coming because both of these gentlemen are known for being writers on 2016 uh, God Gods of Egypt, 2017's Power Rangers, and then the last Witch Hunter uh, from 2015. All of three of those are not great movies. Yeah, should have, I feel like we should have saw it coming. Well, I mean, the one thing is though, even though I I probably gave a very sped up version of this movie, Jared Leto was fine as this. Like I will say, his Morbius on screen. Definitely captured the egotistical doctor, but yet the one that's kind of conflicting with himself. Sure. I will say, like, he was fine. I had no issue with him in this movie. I did have an issue with the writing because it just really was, like, after the Kaiser Soze thing, it's all over the place. Right. So, like, where are we going? Because you see Matt Smith, you never see him pick up the vial that's in the hospital, the laboratory there. So it's like, okay, I can understand, like, he snuck it in himself after Morbius wouldn't give it to him. And now he's like all of a sudden instantaneously framing him for everything. Right. And it's kind of like I, they're supposed to be, you know, best friends growing up. You see the the brotherly bond between them. And now all of a sudden he just snaps and is like just killing everybody in sight. Right. So it kind of seemed like it was rushed. But I will say at least I understood his motives. He was very entertaining as the villain because he it was almost like his Doctor Who. Sure. Now was a vampire. Like sure. kind of in that in that vein for me. Like I was sitting there like, okay. Sure. You know, it made sense. I didn't, like, Tyrese's character was forgettable. Okay. And, you know, like I say, if it wasn't for Agent Rodriguez, I wouldn't be paying attention because, like, they really didn't do that much. Like, they basically, we caught Morbius at first. Now we're trying to track him down. The media is now panicking because now there's footage of a vampire running loose. And they go, wait, this might not be Michael Morbius. Oh, no, what do we do? And then the whole thing with Martine, I mean, like, nobody had any idea what was going on there. And obviously they set her up for the sequel because now she's a vampire, we're assuming. So it was just really messy with the writing and just, like, all over the place at the end. And like I say, they had a good setup. Like, everything made sense until that prison scene. Right. Then it was like, what are we doing? Right. And it, and it's and it's genuinely hard to figure out just kind of the vibe in the room with this movie just because a lot of times with movies, the numbers are great all around, they're bad all around, and sometimes they're in the middle. I mean, I'm looking at the uh, box office numbers, and this movie on opening weekend made $39,005,895 here in the States, uh, Currently, which was number one for the weekend. Uh, currently, domestically, it is sitting at $43,838,847. Internationally, it has made $44.9 million. So total worldwide gross, it is currently sitting at eighty-eight, um, $88,738,847. 
So that's those numbers. I obviously read you the Rotten Tomatoes uh, scores at the beginning, which if you don't remember, it's 16% for the critics and 70% for the uh, for the uh, viewers. Looking over IMDb, and, and and you gotta take note, I'm pretty sure you're able to review these movies before they come out or like give star ratings, so this number's possibly inflated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's with 24,000 ratings on IMDb, it's currently sitting at a 5.2. And then for the Metascore, which Metascore, if you aren't familiar, this is it kind of takes the, uh, it's got 51 critic reviews provided by Metacritic.com. It takes all of these reviews together with a number and kind of aggregates them together. It's got a Metacritic Metascore of 36, which is not good. So it, it's just hard to figure this movie out with all the numbers because it's like, oh, it's universally liked, it's universally hated, it's universally meh. Like, it's all over the damn place. And I agree with that because... Here is where we're finding with Sony, in my opinion. Sony is trying to write their own universe. And they're trying to do a Sinister Six movie. Well, yeah, because yeah. we'll get into that bonus scene in just a sec. But what they've tried doing is they're really trying to dip their toes into the superhero pool. And they really don't want to have a lifeguard in Marvel watching over them. They're trying to do it with half a box of crayons. Well, yeah, and that's the problem that they have because, like, I understand the character of Morbius. Like, when they have, of all the characters they've announced for solo films, Craven, Madam Web. Right, right, right. If you're buying their whole Silver Sable Black Cat movie that I guess has been rumored for I don't know how long now. Yeah, a couple of years. Right. Morbius makes sense because he has had a run in the comics. He has been featured in the animated series. He's been connected to a plethora of people in the comics universe. There is a following for him, and obviously attaching Jared Leto's name to it, it's much in the same vein of Vin Diesel and Bloodshot. Sure. Because if you can get a big A-list actor to join in and become a superhero and be somebody you can build a franchise around, you're going to get an audience in. And like I say, Jared Leto was fine in this. Sure. Like, like for the character. But the writing in this was just so all over the damn place that it was like, where are we going with this? And now where are we going to do for a sequel? Because it's not like he has a deep rogues gallery. Right. So. He's a part of a rogues gallery. Yeah, I mean, they, which they did for us. Because let's talk about those bo- the bonus scene. Because everything we knew from the trailer, there was a shot of Michael Keaton's Adrian Toomes, a.k.a. the Vulture, talking to Jared Leto as he was arrested. Yep. And there's a whole scene in front of the Spider-Man poster where it says murder written across it. Yep. That was never in this movie. Yep. We open the first bonus scene here where you do see the sky crack a la No Way Home and the multiverse is now blending in. Right. So we do see this happening. Okay. Yep. You see Michael Keane's character of Adrian Toomes appear in a jail cell. For what, Pad? Reasons. And all of a sudden the news station is running like, Adrian Toomes just wakes up in a jail. We don't know what's going on from here. He'll be released soon. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like... we. And he even says, like, well, this is better than the last place. Then you have another bonus scene later. Like, that that's the only thing that happens in that one scene. It's like, okay, well, the vulture is here. Like, so maybe he'll be the villain for the next movie. Then you see Morbius is driving a car into a field. And he's like, it's almost like he's time to meet up with somebody. Sure. You know, it's almost like, I want to say, in a weird sense, like Back to the Future-esque. Like, he's got to be there at a certain time, at a certain speed. It kind of had that vibe to it. And as he gets there, he sees the vulture in full costume fly in. Right. And then all of a sudden, you see that uh, vulture is like, yeah, 
Spider-Man's behind this. I say we should team up and take care of it. Like, you know, we should, we should, yeah. you know, be, like really form up with some people and, and do this. Yeah. And you see Morbius go, interesting. And that's how it ends. Yeah. And, and the director's trying hard to sell this and, and the whole, because there's speculation online as to what Spider-Man universe it takes in. I mean, IGN did an interview with the director and tried to figure out, you know, uh, they they straight up asked him what universe, Spider-Man universe it, t- it takes place in. And he couldn't give an answer. Uh, he said, quote, there are people at Sony that will have me shot for saying anything because then I will force them to commit to something. I have my thoughts and opinions and they are in the movie and that's what I'm pushing for, close quote. Yeah. Like, I don't know. This this just really didn't do anything for me in the sense of it was so botched at the end that I know they're going to do a sequel because I made enough money. Like, that's going to happen. And I'm just hoping the next time around, like, we get a more tightly written story. Sure. Like, this, I guess that's the biggest aspect about this. Like, I understand why people said, oh, this is really bad, blah, blah, blah. If you really break it down, it's in the same vein that was written with Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Right. That you have characters that can be a lot of things in this in this cinematic universe. Uh-huh. Like, with the right people writing this, I think it would have been a lot stronger. But in my opinion, this was not strongly written. This was kind of like, okay... Let's see what happens here. We'll have Morbius take on a, a, a brand new character, and I know it was rumored to be some other people in the comics, but it, you know, it was what it was. And then we have a sequel that's kind of set up that now he has a vampire girlfriend. We don't exactly know what's going to happen there. Yeah, like we we don't exactly know what's going to go on there. And is, you know, is she going to become an antagonist for this? We don't know. Are you hoping you get Spider-Man involved in this? And is that going to be something? I mean, that would be wishful thinking. Yeah. But if this is all the set of a Sinister Six movie, man. Which it is, because as I've said before, and I will say again, Sony has wanted to do a Sinister Six movie since about Spider-Man 2 or 3. You look at the villains they were introducing for those films, and even into the Amazing Spider-Man mm-hmm. films. You look at the villains they introduced, and then cross-reference that with characters who have been in various incarnations of the Sinister Six team, Writing's on the wall. They've been wanting to do a Sinister Six movie for decades. Yeah, and, and I guess they're going to really try loading up to do it. But my question is, is like the fan base there for a movie that possibly doesn't have Spider-Man in it? If Spider-Man is involved, yes. Yeah, I will say if that. If Spider-Man's not involved and it's just six villains running roughshod over a town, why the fuck would anybody care? Well, that's the whole thing. You like, you better hope that this is going to be the next wave of Tom Holland movies or Miles Morales, like, right. you know, when you cast him finally. Right. This is where the area they're going to need to address is going to be because if you're doing all this work to set up a Sinister Six movie and like if you were trying to do this like how Marvel set up the Avengers. Right. Like, and I know we're talking apples and oranges, but we're talking all produce here. Yeah. The MCU is smart because they did the solo Iron Man. They did a yep. solo Cap. They yeah. did a solo Thor. If you're telling me that this is the buildup of doing a solo Venom, a solo Morbius, a solo Craven, like, I... But at the same token, like, I, I see what they're doing, but this is like DC doing a solo Lex Luthor movie, a solo Bizarro movie. A solo, you know, Solomon Grundy movie, a solo Metallo movie, a solo mm-hmm. Parasite movie. But, oh, wait, Superman's not going to be involved in any way. Like, why the fuck are we even here then? Yeah, I mean, that's it, it's got to be ending with that. Like, that has to be a movie with Spider-Man involved. Like, you, you, you can't do it otherwise. Yeah. And I'm sorry, just, like, the fact that you have Morbius now suddenly hating Spider-Man for what reasons? Like, yeah. 
Like, that made no sense because, like, there was no interaction through the entire movie. The only thing this movie did capture, like I said, you understand the tragic story of Morbius. He has a weird blood disease. He's trying his damnedest to survive and get out of his bad situation. He's really trying to make the best of the situation because he's so arrogant he thinks he can fix everything. And is reckless when he does it. And thus he knows his his brother that he feels so connected to in Matt Smith's character of Milo wants it so desperately too. Like he's not willing to give it. So you understand why Milo is mad and going basically like he's gone crazy because the thing is the craving for blood is driving them both mad. Morbius is trying to survive, but he's drinking artificial blood, but he's noticing that every time he's doing it, the hunger gets shorter and shorter. I feel like that's a thing in, in vampire movies traditionally though. Yeah, because they always say you gotta eat real blood. Yeah, yeah, or drink yeah. real blood. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, what, it's 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 something in the in the vampire mythos. But this is where you see he's really trying to do the scientific aspect, which I liked. I said this is one of the better ideas they've done with a movie. But it's just when you had a, a villain that you you understood what he was going with, he went super crazy, and then like whatever Morbius was trying to do, like at one point, and this was so irrelevant to, he was trying to build his own studio or lab out of a counterfeit bill-making factory that he stalked the counterfeit uh, gang. Oh, right. And then was trying to do his own thing there. And, but they never, like, followed up about it. It was just kind of like, okay, we're just going to throw this in here because, you know what? Hey, we need something. I don't know. I mean, like, for me, I thought it was better than it was advertised. Like I say, it had a decent. I'm not saying it was great, but it was decent for a first act. But, my God, man, once you did the usual suspect spot, it was like, oh, here we go. And it just never seemed to recapture its its footing. Other than you had Matt Smith being entertaining, because now I know what happens. You mix Doctor Who with a vampire. And that works for me. Sure. You know, being a Whovian, like, I understand that. But at, at the end of the day, like, I don't think they did enough to really say, like, wow, like, I really want to see a sequel. And I know it's going to happen, but you got to bring in somebody from Spider-Man's mythos to really balance it out. You can't go with an original villain. And, and, and if you want to establish him as an anti-hero... That's fine, but you gotta be, right. you gotta come stronger with it because like for this, I like at one point like I don't even feel bad for what happened to him. It's just like because he's so much of an arrogant jerk. It's like I don't know. It just did not really connect with me as I as I, as I was hoping it was. But I went in with a clear thought though, and like I say, I know reviews were bad. In fact, that was one of the people that was talking about this early on when we were hearing early rumblings. Right, this was an absolute train wreck. I can see why those comments were made. And you know what? I kind of went in with the, with the idea of it. But then I was like, you know what? Let me take this for what it is. And it wasn't that bad to start. But like I said, once we got to that third act, I was like, what the hell are we doing here? And this is bad. That is my real complaint about this. So, like, I don't have a grading system for this because I try not grading it. But you know what? I'm going to just end it with this. If you're a fan, be a fan. If you like this movie, stick to your guns about this. And if you didn't like this movie, that's perfectly fine, too. Right. Some people did. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's your fandom. If you really like the character, you know, then do it. Just don't be toxic about it. And vice versa. If you really hate this movie, don't go after people that really did. Let them have their moment in the sun. So that being said, hashtag ODPHpod. Because I've given myself a headache talking about this movie. But I don't mind talking to you about it, folks. I'll pop in some Advil and it'll be good. Let's talk Morbius, shall we? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? And let's have an honest conversation. We can do this. I've been talking with JT from East Coast Avengers about this movie all the time. We have the kind of the same thoughts about this. But, you know, I digress. We'll even talk more about this later. But I want to talk to you, ODPH Society. So hit me up. Let me know. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna go Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, what you got? Got to talk a couple of things. First of which is my very, very, very early review for Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker Saga. Worst game ever. Oh, fucking bite your tongue. (laughs) Picked it up yesterday. Only played a couple hours last night. Uh, But I got to say, it is fan-fucking-tastic. It is a lot of fun. If you grew up playing any of the Lego Star Wars games, you will love the hell out of this one. Because it feels familiar and it doesn't at the same time. Uh, I picked up the game. I decided to play chronologically because all nine films are in this game. Uh, you know, originally they when the first game came out, they did one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Then they did the original trilogy, which was four, five, and six. But they had little bonus missions with, uh, what was it, the fight with Darth Maul, the fight with Dooku, and then the fight with Anakin and Obi-Wan, just so you could unlock some of those prequel characters for the sequel game. Okay. And then they did the complete saga, which was all six movies in one game. Hell of a lot of fun. Played a lot of hours of that over the years. Nice. Man. You know, so... I, and when you start this game, you can either start with episode. You can't jump in and play any movie at the start. You can only you have to pick either episode one, Phantom Menace, episode four, A New Hope, or episode seven, Force Awakens. Beat those, and then it will unlock the following two films. Mm-hmm. So I figured, you know what? Why don't we do chronological? I'll go one sure. one through nine. So obviously, you've seen the movie. You know how it starts. You know, it, it, it starts on the Trade Federation ship, you know, so it felt a little different because it wasn't how I remembered it from when I was younger. But then you get to Naboo and just going through the Naboo sequence. And now all of the move, the first six movies have been completely redone. It's not and it's nothing is the same from when it was originally completely redone. New attacks, new, new everything, new everything, new everything. And even I believe they did an episode seven solo game a couple years ago when episode seven came out i don't think they've even used anything from that i think that's even completely redone really uh the game is insanely deep like the last lego game i played was lego the hobbit which was the first two hobbit movies cliffhanger on where the second movie ends and they never did anything with the third one which is egregious (laughs) but that one to this day i have yet to a hundred percent it and i'm like 50 some I have I have like 50 plus hours put into that game and I'm like like 85% complete or something like that. Okay. This one is going to take longer just because the amount of stuff to do is absolutely fucking bonkers. When you go to a world, you unlock that world so that at any, at any point you can travel to that world and bring ver- and play as various characters. Now, I've only got 3 unlocked because I've got Naboo Tatooine and Coruscant unlocked. So I can't go really all that many places, so I haven't done it yet. But if I want to, I can do it. There's space battle stuff, so there's stuff you can you can get in space. You know, getting through dogfights and, and shooting comets out, which give you kyber crystals, which help you uh, uh, buy upgrades. So, like, you can run faster. You can build Lego bricks faster. There's even, a, like, a class system for, like, Jedi, Rebel Heroes, Empire, Droids, Bounty Hunters... The level of depth and detail in this game is honestly insane. And it, at times it's a little overwhelming just because I know how these games work. I know you need studs, which are the little coin currency in the game to unlock characters, unlock, you know, quote unquote cheats. So it's like score times two, score times four. It's, it's fun stuff like that. 
you know, and to buy ships and all this other stuff. I know you need to collect stuff. So I got in that first open area. If you've ever seen Phantom Menace, it's that hangar where the ship lands in. Yeah. Get off that. I destroyed everything in the room. I walked away. With, I, I got a trophy within two minutes where, uh, you know, purchase. It was like it was a playoff of the speeder purchase uh, from episode four. 17,000 credits. All right. I was like, oh, okay, I unlocked a trophy. I walked out of there with probably close to 100,000 studs. Damn. And I went, holy fuck, this is insane. You know, it's so there's so much going on. It's slightly overwhelming, but not in a bad way, just because it's so upped in scale from what I'm used to with a Lego game. You know, it's fluid. It's a fluid story. So it's not like the old Star Wars Lego games. If you played that where it was like chapters, you play start to finish, you get to the little outro at the end where it gives you your, your progress of how you did. Oh, here's how many studs you collected. Here's how many minifigs you collected. None of it, that's in the game. But it's fluid and seamless, so it doesn't pull you out at any point. It's a hell of a lot of fun. I cannot recommend this game enough for any level of Star Wars fan. Whether you're a super casual, you've seen the movies a few times, or you're a diehard fan, you really should pick this game up. It's a ton of fun. Yeah, it sounds. I mean, I know a lot of her podcast content creating friends have like really been raving review about this. Yeah. And I know this is something right up your alley. Oh, absolutely. And they've even added some DLC already for the game with uh, characters from Rogue One. Seasons one and two of the Mandalorian, and I know they're coming out with stuff for the Bad Batch. Oh, okay. So I and I would not be surprised if there's more coming down the road. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously the reception has been very good thus far. I know people are just starting to play it now, so once they start deep diving into it, there's gonna be a lot of good stuff. Oh yeah, uh, so definitely highest recommendation. Uh, switching over to some uh, more video, or it's going to stick with some more video game news. It was announced today, actually, as we record, uh, that Remedy and Rockstar Games have announced they will be remaking Max Payne and Max Payne 2, The Fall of Max Payne. Oh. Uh, so this from an IGN article, it reads, quote, In a surprise announcement, Remedy will work with Rockstar uh, under a new publishing agreement to remake the first two Max Payne games for PC, PlayStation 5, and Xbox Series X and S. Remedy will handle development while Rockstar will finance the project, which will be in line with a typical Remedy AAA game production. The Max Payne remakes will also be developed by Remedy's Northlight game engine, the same engine used to develop Control in the upcoming Alan Wake 2. The original uh, Alan, or excuse me, the original Max Payne games were also a result of partnership between Remedy and Rockstar, with Remedy handling development and Rockstar Games publishing. Rockstar will. Uh, Rockstar also handled the development of Max Payne 3. Uh, we're thrilled to we're th- we were thrilled when our longtime friends at Remedy approached us about remaking the original Max Payne games," said Rockstar founder Sam Hauser. We are massive fans of the work and uh, the work of the Remedy team has created over the years, and we can't wait to play these new versions. Close quote. So, hey, if you're a fan of the Max Payne games, it looks like you're getting some remix. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I mean, I have not really been a big fan of those games. I've played them a couple of times. Yeah, like I say, they're all right. They're all right. Like I say, I, I'm with you on that. It's not really my cup of Java, so to speak, but yeah. I don't mind them. And you're like, listen, if you're yeah. a fan of that franchise, you're going to be definitely excited about that. Uh, and then also in some video game news, we have some unfortunate news because uh, E3 2022 will not be taking place. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. So uh, this from an IGN article, it says, after previously canceling its in-person E3 2022 event, the ESA has now informed its partners that there will be no digital event equivalent this year either, meaning E3 2022 has been fu- has fully been canceled. The news broke via a tweet from Razor PR lead Will Powers, who said that an email had been sent out announcing the cancellation of a digital E3 event. IGN has independently verified the contents of the email as well. 
The ESA had initially planned for an in-person E3 event this year after having no event in 2020 due to COVID-19 and a digital one in 2021. However, this was canceled in January with the ESA at the time unable to make a public statement on whether or not there there would be a digital equivalent. According to sources speaking to IGN at the time, discussions around E3 had been fraught throughout the year, with third parties normally involved finding the ESA's ongoing silence regarding their plans frustrating. Sources connected to the event tell IGN that discussions about a possible digital equivalent have been ongoing ever since, but without strong momentum to drive them. Instead, the ESA seems to be making plans to regroup for a larger comeback in 2023. And the ESA actually did put out a statement saying, quote, We will devote our, all our energy and resources to delivering a revitalized physical and digital E3 experience next summer. Whether enjoyed from the show floor or your favorite devices, the 2023 showcase will bring the community, media, and industry back together in an all-new format and interactive experience. We look forward to presenting E3 to fans around the world live from Los Angeles in 2023. Uh, so not a little bit of a surprise, but not entirely surprised. I mean, I knew that it was canceled in person. It doesn't really surprise me that they canceled digital just because you've got PlayStation on a basically almost monthly basis. It's, they don't really do it regularly. It's maybe about once a month. Mm. They do their state of play broadcasts. Where yeah. The last one they did was for Hogwarts, uh, the Hogwarts Legacy games. And, and then they'll feature some other stuff. Nintendo does these about once a month. I, it wouldn't surprise me if Microsoft and Xbox start doing this. And especially with as many uh, studios, especially some of them ones that would make appearances at E3, Ubisoft coming to mind especially, or not Ubisoft, uh, excuse me, Bethesda. Okay. Bethesda being owned by Microsoft. Bethesda would usually have their own uh, gaming conference or gaming uh, press conference, yeah, at E3. It doesn't really surprise me that they canceled digitally. What comes back, I'm not sure, just because, you know, E3 for me, as I've said, was a lot of fun just because with the summer... I'd watch with my brother. It'd be on G4 TV. That you know, we'd we'd look up online on the computer. All right, who's on at what time? No matter because we were a PlayStation household, we'd still watch Xbox and we'd still watch Nintendo. Oh, sure, Nintendo just to see what was coming out and get excited for it and hear, and talk about it. You know, but then G4 ended, and with that rose YouTube and rose Twitch, and just ever since YouTube and Twitch have rose to prominence, for whatever reason, E3 just ha- hasn't been able to figure it out and figure out what to do. You know, with these studios like Sony, like you know, Sony skipped out on the last couple of years, not counting 2020 because, hey, everybody skipped out. Yeah, everybody skipped out. Everybody skipped out, but Sony hasn't been there the last couple of years. You know, Nintendo does its own thing. So I don't know whether we'll see it. They, they say they're going to come back, but I don't know if we ever will see E3 again. See, here's the thing. I think at some variation you will. But hear me out when I say this. In the past couple of years, obviously with everything going on in the world, We've seen this shift from in-person to digital cons, whether it's DC Fandom, um, yeah, just in it, just it's probably the biggest one. Right. But we're now seeing more people are kind of leaning to do that instead of in-person. Right. And I think for what you touched upon uh, with PlayStation and, and Nintendo doing their live casts about that, you're seeing more people following that DC Fandom. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like I say. I was trying to think of all the examples, but it's, sure. it's, it's you know, Netflix, when, Netflix did one. Netflix did to them, you know, so like we've now seen all these growing virtual cons. But I think, though, as this year, fingers crossed, we start getting back to normalcy um, and we start having 
more physical cons. Right. And we saw that what WonderCon went down this past weekend. Something like that, yeah. That, you know, that's a catalyst for it. And then obviously we have not heard too much about San Diego Comic-Con this year. We do know because we got the emails. New York Comic-Con is looking like it's going to be an in-person again, which we're super excited to get back down there. Fingers crossed for press. But this is a situation that I think for E3, it is in the gaming community much like San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. That it's the big event. Oh, yeah, because like San Diego, there's other comic book conventions, but it's the biggest. Right. There's other gaming conventions, but E3 is the biggest. Right. So I think, though, you will see those companies come back because I think the event is getting that live reaction. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, because you're the more gamer than I am. Yeah. That's Keanu Reeves. You're breathtaking. Oh, yeah, that was E3. So... To get those reactions, I think you'll see that slowly start coming back. It might be in the same variance, and I know I'm kind of jumping around with my cons. Bear with me. But as this past year showed us at New York Comic Con, right? we didn't have Marvel, didn't have DC. We had a lot of great people down there, though. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Funimation. We had so many other companies step up and made that such an event that I think in the gaming community that would be the catalyst to get E3 back. And like I say, you might not have the heavy hitters, but you're going to have enough people in there that's going to cause that buzz that the following year right? you might see somebody come back. Like I say, I don't know how it's going to work out this year, like when we're talking about cons right, right, you know, right. for, for Comic-Cons. Right. Because with DC fandom blowing up and you know Marvel, we don't know what they're going to wind up doing. Right. This is a situation where you're going to see somebody else step up, and I think you're going to see that happen here with E3. Right. I think it's just going to take a while to get going, and I understand because, like I say, these are the moments like I would listen to any other podcast talk about it, and I know you were always on top of E3. Oh, yeah. So this is a situation that I think eventually they do come back. It's just going to be a matter of time and just what kind of interpretation it's going to be. I know I kind of went on a long-winded rant there, and I apologize. Yeah, that's fine. But, you know, but this is one of those situations, as I start seeing more cons making noise about in-person – I think, though, with E3, if they want to wait one more year, sure. But I think next year it's a safe bet to be a lock. Oh, yeah. And I think you'll start seeing more people that were doing strictly digital at least have a presence. Not a big presence, but a presence at you know, these type of events. Yeah. Okay. Uh, switching over to some movie and- news, uh, Sam Raimi, the up- upcoming director of the uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness movie, did an interview with Fandango, and he was asking about the possibility of him doing another Spider-Man movie. Oh! Uh, and he said, quote, I've come to realize after making Doctor Strange that anything is possible. Really, anything in the Marvel Universe, any team-ups. I love Toby. I love Kirsten Dunst. I think all things are possible. I don't really have a story or a plan. I don't know if Marvel would be interested in that right now. I don't know what their thoughts are about that. I haven't really pursued that, but it sounds beautiful, even if it wasn't a Spider-Man movie. I'd love to work with Toby again in a different role. Close quote. So, hey, never say never. We could possibly get Spider-Man 4 with Tobey Maguire down the road. I mean, we could. I, I, I guess I have two rules of thumb about this. Sure, it'd be fun for nostalgia reasons, but long-term MCU is MCU. Uh-huh. You know, it's all connected, blah, blah, blah. I don't know how exactly that would go over. I mean, like, the one thing that made No Way Home so great was it was a nostalgia love letter to Spider-Man fans. Sure. Well, I mean, it's kind of like when that band you love as a kid got back together and went on a reunion tour. Yeah. Like, how many times are you going to go see them after that first tour? 
You know, like it, that's the way I look at it when like Raimi's talking about getting back together with Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. Would it be fun? Yeah, sure. But like, I don't need another three movies. No. You know, in that situation, I would love to see him ta- so tackle another character. Like, I don't know who. I mean, that'd be a great you know question. Yeah. Because I mean, obviously he's doing Doctor Strange, but who else could he tackle and do something different with? Because like, I don't know. Because I mean, that's the one situation you're going to start running into. It, it was like. Yeah, the nostalgia tour is cool and all, but like for sustainability, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't mind having a cameo, but I don't need a full movie. That's just me. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, but certainly not leastly, uh, we got a casting announcement for the upcoming uh, third season of Star Trek: Picard. Uh, season two, I think, is still airing. Uh, might have might have finished. I got to catch up on that. Mm-hmm. I, I it came out and I forgot it came out and I got to watch it. Uh, but it was announced, and this is a hell of a stellar cast they've announced for season three. Some of these names you might recognize. Uh, joining Patrick Stewart on season three will be basically the entire cast of the next generation. Oh, jeez. So that is LeVar Burton, Michael Dorn, Jonathan Frakes, Gates, McFadden, uh, Marina Sirtis, and Brent Spiner will be joining Patrick Stewart on season three. So, hey, next generation reunion on Pat, uh, Picard season three. That'll be fun. Give it to me. That will be fun. I definitely got to catch up on this show. I've been falling behind. There's just so much stuff coming out right now. Yes. That it's tough to really catch up on. Uh-huh. So let me end this with the comic reviews. And, man, we are talking about a stacked week at the shops. Yeah. Holy smokes. Well, first off, i got to break down what we talked about on Parlay Points this week. And there are some very cool books you need to go check out. Comixology, shout out to them. They're fantastic people. Uh, They have their originals line, which I'm telling you right now, you definitely want to check these books out. As a paying client of this, they have so many cool books on their digital service that are not in print yet. And this one, I don't know the deal uh, if it's coming to print or not, because I know a lot of uh, like the Scott Snyder books, I believe uh, we know we have demons is coming to uh, dark horse comics. And there is uh, another, or Eden's coming to right uh, dark horse as well. So I'm not sure if these books are going to be coming to print. It would be a shame if they didn't, because I think they do some really cool stuff on here. And this book I've been checking out is called red tag. So it's the second issue. It's done by Rafael Scavone, Rafael Albuquerque, and Roger Cruz. And this one, we covered the first issue. Second issue is absolutely fantastic. I've been reading it. I'm loving the buildup for it. It's only five issues. This is issue number two coming out, and they're really setting the groundwork for this big story about basically how three friends are now involved in a political thriller. And definitely I'm super excited about it. It's, it's a great story, great art. You definitely need to go check that out. So definitely give that recommendation on Comixology. That's the only place you can find it. And then I took a flyer on something, Pat. Okay. Now, are you a big Alice in Wonderland fan? I enjoy the Disney animated movie, but that's about it. Okay. So there is a book out by Boom Studios. Okay. Shout out to Boom. Alice Ever After. Hmm. So Dan Panosin, Giorgio Spalletta, and Fabiana Mascalano. Okay. Uh, are doing this, and it's basically, I'm showing Pad the cover right now. Interesting. And it is the story of basically Alice as she's grown up. Ooh. And this is a very dark turn of of her life post-Wonderland and what she's doing to basically stay in that world, too. Right. It's definitely not uh, something if you're used for kids, uh, this would not really be up their alley. No. Because basically, like, she's just trying to do anything to go back to Wonderland. And, like, it's a, dealing with addiction. And it's it's a very different take than you've seen with this character. 
But I thought the issue was very, very interesting. Like I was like I like I said, the cover caught me at first. Uh, the variant cover by J. Scott Campbell I thought was very cool. So I'm like, you know what? Let me give this book a flyer. And I was very impressed by it. Like I say, this is something that usually would not be up my pull list. Right. But I'm definitely interested in seeing where this goes. Uh, it's definitely a cool read, and especially if you want to take a complete different look at the world of Alice post-Wonderland and just how dark and, and somber her world is now. And just it's a fantastic read. Like I say, it just, it just caught me off guard of how good this was. So that's out by Boom. Also... Radiant Red number two by Cherish Chen and David Lafronette and Miguel Muerto. Uh, this book is diving into the character Radiant Red and Lafuente. His artwork is freaking awesome in this book, too. And the story is very, very cool. If you want the history, a little original story, so to speak, and tie yeah. it into a little modern take on a or modern times look at Radiant Red, it is definitely a book you want to go check out. Ooh. So, like I say, this is something, and we are all big Radiant Black fans here. Supermassive Universe is blowing up right now, so you definitely want to get this book. Issue number two, it's only five uh, issues as well, too, is out right now. So definitely go check this out. It's definitely a dope book to go look at and definitely become a fan of. And lastly, I've been hearing a lot of hype about this book from Marvel, X-Men Red. Oh. So Al Ewing and Russell Dodderman. Have really got something special going on here. This is kind of lighting up comics Twitter right now. So if you are into the X universe, and you should be because they're doing a lot of cool things, this is going to be something that's on your you know your pull list. You definitely got to go check this out. Make sure to go hitch up your local comic shops. Let them know what you're reading. You know, Let me know what you're reading too. I like hearing this feedback because I'm Parlay Points, and thank you to everybody who's been checking that out too. The blogs have been blowing up, and I'm getting a lot of suggestions about checking some stuff out. Next week, though, I got something special lined up, too, from our good friends at Bad Bug Media. And I can't wait to do this because we had one of them on the show, and I just got privy to what the issue is, and holy shit, it is going to be worth checking out. So I can't stress it enough. If you're not going down to your local comic shops, definitely get down there. Go support them. Go tell them what you're reading. Tell me what you're reading, and definitely go check out everything we have at Parlay Points because if I'm reading it, I'm recommending it. That's the whole point of the blog. So definitely make sure you're going to support your LCSs and support your independent comic podcasts. So, Pat, that being said, the music you heard at the beginning of the show is Shout Out the Robots. But the music you heard at the end, we got some more brand new Tom Jolu. Where? Oh, where do I go find out about Tom and Shout? Uh, ODPHpodcast.com. Yeah, think about it for a second because there's so much content on the website. I'm telling you, you go to the music section, you check out them and everybody else that we rock with because they give us amazing music to play here on the entire 67 podcast network. You also have the website, go check out the parlay points blog section. Like I just referred to, cause you want comics blogs. I got you for recommendations for the week. And if you want some wrestling talk, I got you there too. In fact, we have another Dre driven blog coming. Nice. A case of the Wendrays as it's getting called. And uh, I'm not sure. I think it's coming out Friday. I think he wants to do it. So there's enough time. People can watch the moon Knight episode. So he's covering it himself. Yeah. Which I would say, I'm not mad about it as well, too, because that's one thing we try doing. We're not talking spoilers. We don't want to ruin anything for anybody. That's why we can be a whole countdown. That's what we do here at the ODPH. But what we also do at our website, though, we have a directory section, which has how many providers, Pat? Uh, 17,820. Correct. So if we're not on your favorite podcast platform, let us know how to get there, and we'll get we'll try our best to do it. Can't guarantee everything because we got to get picked up, but we are getting more and more affiliates. The word of the ODPH is spreading around, and we can't thank you enough for that. And also, you can check out the 
classified section, which has friends of the show, such as Super B, who was just on 607TWS, got a big match this weekend at the X for Excite Wrestling, Dragon Master Games, our fam over at 8122 Productions, which happy four-year anniversary to the Three Fat Nerds podcast, Rich, Ron, and Big Nanny Cool himself, Diesel. So you want to find out everything going on with them, their Patreon, which is fantastic and it's one of the best deals for all of content creating. You can go check that out. You can check out organizational link support, Black Lives Matter, all the amazing pod groups we're in, all that, the T Public Store. Man, I am forgetting so much stuff because that website is loaded, Pad. It's loaded. Yeah. ODPHpodcast.com. That's all we got for this week. So for the one only Pad of 1J, I'm going to go home and play Lego Star Wars. I know he's itching to get out of here. He's like, wrap this up. I got to go play some games. But I'm your host, Kenna. And I say thank you as always for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. Would you like slice? This slice of pizza pie now. Would you like slice? This slice of pizza pie now. Would you like slice? A slice of pizza pie tonight. They said, don't come back here no more. If you try to come and get your things, we'll kick you out the door. So I went to gray up some food and heard a friendly cashew said, Would you like a slice? A slice of pizza pie now, would you like a slice? A slice of pizza pie now, would you like a slice? A slice of pizza pie tonight. Customers complaining after minutes of a tirade, the FD, he just wouldn't say it will.